0: Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the We Thrive podcast, where we share stories from entrepreneurs around the world about how they're creating an impactful legacy. My name is Casey Clark, and I'm your host, also the owner of C. Clark Consulting. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Ms. Kristen McKenna, who is the owner of The Strength to Be Me, which I love the name of your business, by the way. Thank you you're very welcome so thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you so much for having me today
0: absolutely so tell us a little bit about yourself
1: sure um i am a registered nurse i've been a registered nurse for 13 years and i've spent pretty much all of that within the hospital setting so that is my background is very much uh, science-based and um obviously compassionate nursing care. Um, Currently, I do not work in the hospital, but I still do work as a nurse. I work in substance abuse right now, which I really, really love. And I actually am able to do a lot of health and wellness education um, at the facility that I work at now. So it's really nice. And about, you know, a year and a half ago, um, I just felt like I wasn't making the impact that I really wanted to make. I didn't have the time to speak with my patients at length about the things that they wanted and needed in terms of their health and wellness. And I felt like um, you know, becoming a health and life coach would give me more time to really talk to people, to really get clear on their goals, to really um, find out like what's their why, what's gonna anchor them into staying consistent towards these goals. And, you know, I think ultimately, potentially reduce the amount of folks that we are seeing in the hospital with chronic illnesses and having chronic relapsing illnesses. So maybe if we can improve the overall health of of people earlier, we can, you know, decrease the strain on the healthcare system overall.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So I feel like you just kind of teed that up real nicely for kind of the definition of thriving. So what does the word thrive mean to you?
1: Thrive is, you know, <laughs> I always think of it like you're done in living in survival mode and you're ready to take whatever the necessary steps are forward to get out of that survival mode type thinking and have a like broader more global understanding of what you want and need so people that are thriving are happier and living out their purpose and living in alignment with their values and they're just finding more overall peace because they are I think the key point being that they're living in alignment with their values. So, what their actions are aligned with what they say their beliefs are. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of discord and unhappiness, the root cause of that is having, you know, your actions not be aligned with your values. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And coming from the coaching background as well, I mean, I myself have even had to pause and think, like, what are my values? You know, because I feel like, at the core, you know, they're pretty much the same, but then as we get older and wiser and, you know, they sometimes shift or, um, for me personally, I just changed a lot. And, um, so, yeah, I definitely understand that discord there. So I love that definition though. So when you reflect on you and how you've thrived, what are some obstacles that you have personally faced?
1: Um. You know, I think that if you're a big thinker like me, you can sort of think that you're going to think your way out of stuff without actually making any changes or doing anything risky or really doing anything. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that area of, okay, I agree with what you're saying. This sounds right. I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm too scared to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for me, I struggled with an eating disorder for a really, really long time. And a really big chunk of it was not in the super sick part. That was part of it was this, what I call quasi recovery of like, I had a lot of knowledge and I knew what to do and I knew what I was supposed to do, but I wouldn't really step fully into my recovery because I was too afraid of what like might happen. And a lot of people get stuck here with all sorts of different things, not just disordered eating behaviors, but with lots of different stuff. And, you know, I think, again, we need to know that if we have values and beliefs and we know what we're supposed to do, the next step is being able to actually do the things you're supposed to do. And of course I think that's where coaching comes in because it's going to have someone there to support you, hold your hand and hold you accountable. Um, So you're not just sort of relying on your own, you know, motivation, or I hate when people use word discipline. Like, it's not about discipline at all. In my opinion, it's about like somebody like loving and supporting you. And, um, you know, gently holding you accountable to follow through with the things that you say that you're going to do. Yeah, I um I love the whole
0: concept and topic of neuroplasticity. So like, listening to you, I'm immediately thinking like, oh, it's so much deeper than just like you said, just being disciplined enough to do something. It's, there's so many layers to the onion. Uh,
1: Absolutely. Yes. I talk about neuroplasticity a lot, um, not just with eating, but obviously in my role as a substance abuse nurse, like there's so much that just needs to be rewired so that our default is not you know something that's actually hurting us and the people around us because eventually over time if we do it you know a new way enough times the default will change Mm -hmm. and but you have to do it enough times to get the the default to change yeah and that's scary and you know i'm not saying that it's easy and like you know, people just need to do it. it. It's hard. It's really hard to step outside what feels comfortable, what feels safe, what feels familiar, and, you know, start doing things differently, especially if you're not sure how that's going to go or what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah. And when it's comfortable and safe, our brains don't know whether it's good or bad. It's just like, oh,
1: I'm comfortable, <laughs> you know, so that Absolutely. makes it Absolutely. Our brains definitely identify any change in our life as being bad, whether it's a positive change or a negative change, no matter what, if it's not familiar and it's not what we're used to, you know, change means very, very scary and dangerous to our, our primitive part of our brain. You know, that's that subconscious part of our brain. Um, yes, change is always bad, but obviously we need to change sometimes. Like we're doing things that are unhealthy. We're doing things that are not good for us. We, we need to change and we're gonna have to go through a period of being afraid and uncomfortable in order to get there.
0: Yeah. So you have mentioned that you personally had struggled with an eating disorder. What resources did you use to overcome that?
1: Um, you know, I think way, way back in the day, like when it was first diagnosed, I was in college, you know, I did all the normal sort of like therapy, group therapy. I was in residential treatment at one point, you know, a long time ago. But I think that learning the principles of intuitive eating, honestly, a lot of it being through online, Um, you know, I think social media gets a really bad rap, but that's if you're looking at just the bad parts of it, there's so many good parts about social media these days where there's just like all this wonderful information. And that's where I was introduced to the concept of intuitive eating. And then, so I started, you know, learning more and more about that. And honestly, I would say the biggest change came when I finally got rid of the bathroom scale and stopped weighing myself. And instead of deferring my decisions about what, when, or how much I was going to eat to an outside source, I just tuned in to my own body. So a huge, huge part of that is, again, you're going to have to let go of that control, Mm -hmm. Um, in knowing you know what your weight is but for me that was like the number one thing that was consistently holding me back over time um so focusing on a number and being really hyper fixated on a number or being hyper fixated on like how it changes from day to day no matter how much my very smart part of my brain knew you know what i was supposed to do it was very hard to do it once i had that emotional piece coming in that, that emotional attachment to the scale, so to say. So um, honestly, some of my biggest, you know, movements forward with my eating disorder were based just on people online sharing their knowledge. There's dietitians out there that share their knowledge freely on stream. There's other, you know, health coaches out there that share their information out there freely. There's obviously a book on intuitive eating by the two ladies that, You know, wrote the book on intuitive eating. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, read that as well, Um, but I really felt like that was the biggest change for me. Yeah,
0: I feel like, and I'm not trying to be sexist or anything, but I feel like with women we have it so much harder, specifically around overcoming obstacles with eating. And I myself have struggled with you know different um, behaviors that you know were not serving me well at all and it's amazing like you say about getting into the emotional part of it i mean when we're in that emotional part sometimes we forget like the water weight your menstrual all these different things that play into it that men you know don't have to worry about in some regards but it just makes it for me it makes it Feel like you're even you know more so in a hole um so one of the books i don't know if you've ever heard of it um eat drink and be mindful mm-hmm. no it's a really good book yeah it's all about just like you said tuning into your body and just listening instead of fixating yourself on a number so i'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that up
1: i would say in addition to that is the concept of body neutrality which i had never heard of prior to maybe a year ago, I had just heard of, you know, you have a bad body image or your body positive. And I was like, how am I supposed to jump from thinking my body is the root cause of every problem in my life to being body positive? That was like such a huge leap. Like how could we expect someone to do that? So body neutrality comes in the middle of that and says, you know, I don't have to love the way that my body looks every day. That's not realistic for me. But I can still choose to treat it with love and respect and compassion and nourish it and exercise it and, you know, like celebrate it and love it. I don't have to love the way it looks, but I still can respect my body and treat it well. And that for me was another like really key piece. And maybe one day I will be body positive. Maybe one day you'll see me out there on Instagram talking about body positivity. But this gave me like such a great landing space to be like, you know, a little middle ground
0: yeah i think that's so important though because people feel like you have to go from one extreme to the other like you said and it that's unrealistic like you have to take steps i mean what's the old saying like you can't run a mile or something if you don't start walking or something along those lines like you have to take steps so i love that i've never heard of body neutrality either so thank you you're welcome so any other obstacles or resources that you want to share with us before we hop into creating a legacy?
1: Um, I guess also like the idea that like exercise and movement and fitness does not need to be directly like tied to, again, like your weight, your body, your size, your shape, any of that stuff that, you know, you can exercise in whatever ways that feel good to you and receive those like mental health benefits without having to make it about your body. Um, and that is, you know, again, it's part of intuitive eating concepts. It's called joyful movement. And it just is taking a different perspective on exercise. Like it doesn't have to look any certain way. I don't have to be going to a CrossFit gym if I don't feel like it. I don't need to be going to, you know, whatever, some sort of like boot camp type style thing. Like Maybe today it's just walking or maybe today it's, you know, lifting weights or riding my bike in a way that makes me feel good. Um, So I think that being able to detach that a little bit um, was also really, really helpful because, you know, I definitely I love exercise, but I love being able to approach it from a place of this is just a celebration of my body and what it can do as opposed to like, this is a punishment and something that I have to do because I'm bad. Again, so much of this stuff just comes down to what's the like mindset underneath it? And what's the narrative that you're placing on it? So some of the actions actually really look the same. It's just the way you're thinking about it is a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that that is so true. I mean, I um, did a it was like a six week program, um, just around movement with a therapist. And it was amazing how much of a narrative I had around doing something like simple neck stretches. I was like, Oh, that's nothing. That's not exercise. But that kept me from, you know, holding all my stress in my shoulders, especially because I'm sitting at the computer all day. So doing that and like stretching my hips, I really had to work through something that simple. It's like, Really? Like I felt like I should be out, you know, walking five miles or something. And it like you said, you don't have to go to a CrossFit gym or boot camp or anything.
1: Um, so I love, yeah, I love that. Do what's Although, right. If that's what you like, that's fine too. Yeah, absolutely. He loves to work out like that. Like he wants to like be like super intense. He's got his own program he does. And I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna come in for 30 minutes and kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, own little
0: thing. <laughs> Absolutely, too funny.
1: So, speaking of your husband, talk to
0: me a little bit about legacy. So, what does that word mean to you?
1: I think legacy. Again, oh my goodness, I don't know if I've, anyone's ever asked me like about legacy. I guess um, raising your family in a way that you're setting them up to be as successful as possible you know, in the future, I have a four year old and a six year old. Again, a lot of my um, healing with like my own disordered eating and like my own approaches to food and exercise were obviously rooted in a desire to set a good example for my kids. Now, is that like enough just to want to do it for like your kids? Sometimes that's, that's not enough. Like you do have to have some internal desire to just be better for yourself. But at the same time, you know, once you do have children in the mix, um, I think that your perspective can change a lot. And, um, you know, we, of course, we just want to set them up for success as best we can. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So when you kind of look back on what you do, so... To me, it sounds like there's a lot of overlap in your career. So, I mean, obviously, it's you know very impactful what you do in the addiction community um, and just as a nurse in general. But even as a coach, I feel like that's not as well known as you know like what a nurse does. But how do you feel like your careers kind of contribute to a legacy that you're leaving?
1: Um. So yeah, coaching is definitely not as well known and um i think that over the next maybe five to ten years like that will become something that everybody knows what it is although i would say like right now that might not you know be the case even you know when i started um with what like kind of narrowing down like where i was going to focus my coaching on uh i definitely had some business coaches that were not thrilled and did not really understand like the space that I wanted to go into they were like oh so you're a health coach and you're gonna help people lose weight and I was like no I don't really want to do that and they were like that doesn't make any sense why would you give up like that's such a lucrative business why wouldn't you just do it not to throw like my business coach under the bus like he's a great guy but when I was like coming into the space trying to explain like what anti-diet culture type coaching was it was just like you know, crickets kind of. Um, so you know, I think a hope for me is that over the next, you know, however many years it takes, that things like intuitive eating and things like you know more body inclusivity or body neutrality or just you know, basically that I watch diet culture crumble to the ground would be the ultimate goal for my <laughs> legacy that diet culture ceases to exist. And by diet culture, I just mean the societal normative that, you know, everybody wants to lose weight and losing weight makes you happy. And losing weight means that you're successful and eating a certain way makes you a better person or exercising a certain way makes you a better person, right? There's so much like of this you know your inherent worth and value is directly tied to your body and how you eat and the way you move it so you know dismantling diet culture would be like to disconnect all those things from each other and that you know we're obviously inherently worthy beings regardless of our body shape or size and you know so much goes into you know our bodies like there's genetics that are involved mm-hmm. um there is just you know, whatever your exact, you know, set point weight is or your body shape is, like there's only so much control we have over these things. And sending the message out to especially young people that if you follow this influencer celebrity's diet and you, you know, do the same training program as them and you do all these things that they do, you know, the idea is that you're gonna have and look exactly like them. It's not true. Right. So it's it's pawning off like the general public that is just you know susceptible and vulnerable, mm-hmm. and telling them that if you buy this and do that and you know do all the things that you're going to end up looking like this celebrity or influencer whoever the person is. It's not true necessarily. It's yeah. it's not true in like 99% of the time probably. Yeah. Agreed. Whether and I
0: there i'm sorry oh no you're fine i mean i could talk to you for hours and hours about this stuff cuz just the other day i had a conversation with someone who was like i don't want to bring kids into the world for the simple fact that there's so many different expectations these days and, you know you have social media and you have all that stuff but like you said so many people focus on the negative part of it as opposed to saying like oh i can get a lot of information and education you know from it and i come from a very different place cuz i kind of look at it as creating a legacy and i want to bring kids in this world so that i can help them be better and not necessarily carry all the things that my ancestors did you know whether that was poor body image or you know abuse or whatever it is you know addiction all those things um it's a lot to carry but like you said if you could see that kind of dissolve in the next couple of years and really know that you made an impact, that's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, I would say in a lot of families, you know, all of this dieting and body image stuff is absolutely generational trauma that's passed down. I definitely talked to a lot of people that their mom was like, always on a diet, or maybe even people that were invited to go to Weight Watchers at like 12. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you hear a lot of things that you're just like, this is really questionable. But you know, the parent at the time probably just thought, you know they're trying to help their child you know be more accepted and that was the only way they understood how to do it so yeah, yeah it, i think the more and more we spread the message of you know this approach of more intuitive eating and body neutrality and more acceptance and more looking at things a little bit more clearly um you know hopefully our kids will grow up in a way that it will be less of a problem. It will always be somewhat of a problem, obviously, but maybe less of a problem. And I would say, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. We're starting to see a little bit more, you know, um, diversity in general, in terms of like advertising or media. Um, You know, we're seeing people use models that are maybe just more inclusive and maybe mirror like actual real people a little bit better. Right. Um, So I think that we've taken some like small steps in the right direction, probably. Yeah. Um, But we have to keep moving that way because
0: it's hard. (laughs) It it really is. And I mean, it takes more than one person. So absolutely. absolutely. So. Speaking of moving in the right direction, if you could give someone a nugget that's listening today, maybe a personal nugget, a professional nugget, whichever you choose, how would or what would you tell them um, to help them move
1: in a, a better direction? Um, I think it obviously depends on what that person's like, goal is. Um, my number one tidbit would be to take care of yourself better because Mm -hmm. I think, especially as a nurse and a mom, um, I got to a point where I was just like caregiving 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like I had two, two under two, and you know, was working as a registered nurse and worked through the pandemic with little kids. And if you do not take care of yourself, you're going to eventually hit a wall and you're not going to be able to take care of anybody. And, you know, of course, I think also we're teaching our kids, you know, to do the same thing. So we're teaching our kids that the basis of love is that my parent, you know, kind of drives himself into the ground with lack of self-care to show them that they love me. So now is my child going to grow up and think I need to work myself to death because that's the only way that I know how to express love. So again, like self-care is so important and processing your own emotions is so important. As much as you think that that's not going to affect other people around you, whether you're consciously or unconsciously, your issues and problems affect other people around you, whether you want them to or not. It's going to come out in some sort of way. Either you might be more irritable, you might say things in a certain way, you might not be as you know encouraging or positive or you know pleasant to be around. Honestly, um, so every time we refuse to care for ourselves and especially take care of our mental and physical health, it affects the people around us. Absolutely, and I think that that's something that's not
0: really talked about. You know, when you think of self care, I think. In a general sense people are like oh it's just you know like you said eating better exercising things of that nature but it's more i mean you always hear self-care is not selfish so many people view it as like oh it's just about me and it's really not like it like you said it really does impact everyone even if you're being withdrawn like if you're withdrawing from people you're still taking from them you know like you're not giving them you so definitely impacts everyone i love that you brought that up that's awesome so anything else that you want to share that's kind of popped up that you haven't shared with our listeners today
1: um i would say you know that there's lots of help out there in general and you know a big thing is just us asking for and accepting it and i think a lot of people just have this feeling of um i need to figure it out on my own and that's not necessarily true and if somebody's already done it and been there it's okay to you know build from their experience so you know again i want people to know that coaching exists i want people to know that coaching is super effective and you know that it's different from therapy but i'm all for like as many people on the team as possible like you want to have a nutritionist and a dietitian and a therapist and a coach and like everything like let's yeah. just get everything all the help that you can get because you're going to get there faster and you're going to get there feeling more like loved and supported along the way trying to do everything by yourself whether that's a you know i think that's a concept maybe a lot of us grew up with that's mm-hmm. something that we get from our parents of like you need to do it all yourself because that means you're a strong person or that means you know you just got to work harder it's not always about working harder sometimes it's just about working smarter and like using the resources that are available to you so i would encourage everybody to always get help in any sort of fashion that you know they feel comfortable doing or even if you don't really feel comfortable doing it i would still, <laughs> i think everybody can benefit from therapy i think everyone can benefit from coaching i think everybody can benefit from joining whether in person or online like groups that are specific to their needs there are like millions of facebook groups out there that support all different kinds of you know stuff um like literally everything exists out there in terms of facebook group land and sometimes that can you know be a great little sort of group therapy type feel for people Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate all of the information that you've shared today. It was definitely insightful. And I love, you know, how many things you just reiterated for me personally. So I definitely appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I'd also like to thank our music sponsor, Stephen Lamar Moore, who created the music for our podcast. So thank you again for joining us, Kristen. It's been great.